Welcome to Season 8, Episode 9 of 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. My name is Neil Mackay and I'm your host. I've been living in Vietnam since 2016 and I started this podcast in 2019 to get to know more about the people that are connected to Vietnam, both foreigners and locals and people who live here and live overseas as well. Everyone has a story and I wanted to learn more about that. Now my guest today, she is the creative director of The Happy Event and the managing founder of Social Changemakers. She has spent time studying and living in Europe, but she's born in Vietnam from Hanoi. Uh, and she says she's atypical Vietnamese. She's a mixed soul, half traditional, half modern. In this episode, we're going to be talking about her journey. And we're also going to be talking about her social impact journey. From charity on a personal level to, phil- to philanthropy and seriously building a long-lasting ecosystem, cultivating social changes and greater positive impact in her home country. We've met before online during the lockdown. We, we did a networking event together and I've been watching her progress over the last year, putting on some unbelievable events, trying to help change people's lives. So I'm very excited to welcome my guest today is Rosie Happy. Thank you, Neil, for welcoming me to uh, the podcast. And I'm very excited to be invited to be your guest. Thank you for joining us. It's been amazing following that journey of yours over the last... How long have you been back? Because you, you came back to Vietnam from Australia, right? I came back for a visit in March 2020 for supposedly two months holiday only. And then we all know what happened. Uh, yep, yeah. well, we do. Let's yeah. not talk about that. Yes, we're, we're all yeah. getting over it. No, so, so is that what happened? Then you got stuck here. Uh, at the beginning, yeah. I got stuck, uh, social distancing and all of that. But then later on, I gave myself, I freed myself from being stuck. I decided I'll leave here now. Wow. Yeah, I mean, there's positives have come from this situation over the last couple of years, right? So so let's go back then. So you've studied all over Europe and Australia. So what took you then from Hanoi to, to that journey? So from Hanoi, I... Moved with my mom to Saigon first for personal reasons. My parents got divorced, so my mom decided let's move to a different country, a uh, different city. Sorry, it's not a different country. Well, some people say it's yeah. a different country. <laughs> yeah, I know the same country. It's just a pop out. Okay, so we moved to a different city so that she can start new. And Saigon is the hub of you know industrial and business, and it's like a, a city of opportunity. So she think or she thought back then this is the place where we can start anew. And that's why we moved to Saigon. And I lived in Saigon, I believe, longer than the time that I was in Hanoi. Okay. So how old were you when you moved to Saigon? I was six, five or six years old. Oh, right. So really young then. Yeah, very right. small. <laughs> so do you consider yourself Saigonese or uh, Hanoian? What, is, what do we call someone from Hanoi? Hanoian. A Hanoian, is it? Hanoian, yeah. Right. I, I have both. Yeah. I can still do the Norton accent, the Hanoian accent. Really? So I still feel Hanoi. But my, I think my soul, my personality, more the southern right. than the north. I lived here longer, you know. Yeah, I mean, you've lived here most of all, nearly all your life. Yeah. Right. And so one of the things we've talked about this a lot with other guests, so we don't need to go into too much detail, but one of the things that fascinates me about Saigon is how quickly it is developing. You know, I've been here six years and I've watched it just dramatically change in front of my eyes. You know, mm-hmm. the bridge is about to open, which is to me mind-blowing. You know, Landmark 81 didn't exist when I came here. You then being growing up here, how do you how do you take in that, like, just that that rapid development of Saigon? What was it like when you were growing up, you know? I I guess when you were growing up or living in a city, you don't, you do see there are changes, but you don't really see it, the rapidness of it. When I left and I came back, usually I came back every year for a visit. But then because of work and life was well, kind of settled down in Australia. So I only came back. The last time I came back before March 2020 was five, six years ago. Everything changed so much. There's the landmark coming out of nowhere. There's so many restaurants, places to go. It's like going to feel like an endless journey or adventure to, to explore. It's just such an exciting time, you know, coming from... What for me is moving here, I really understood what that word developing meant. You know, we don't tend to use the words like third world country and things like that in Vietnam. It's definitely not a third world country, but it's developing. And in being here, you're like watching it literally develop. Whereas we talk about countries like in the West where I'm from are developed. And it's, yeah, you're like, yeah, there's not really much infrastructure gets built, not much changes. How many new buildings go up? Because everything was done long before I was born. Mm-hmm. 
So for me, being here is really exciting because you're like, wow, this is it's happening in front of your eyes. Yeah, I, we are still a third level country that that's, we classify as that. Really? I thought it was changed. No. It hasn't changed it. Officially, Vietnam is still a third level country. Right. Uh, but yes, we are a developing country and we're developing very fast. Like you <laughs> yeah. see, you can see and you, you experience it very fast. I think we're about maybe 10 years behind Thailand. That I always look at Thailand because mm. I like Thailand. Yeah. I like the culture. It's closer to Vietnam than other countries. But I think that Vietnam might pick up even faster. Well, so I've, I had this, when I first moved here six years ago, was that, for example, like Korea, you know, Vietnam's maybe 40, 50 years behind. But in five years' time, since I've been here, five, six years, it's now like 20 years behind. It's catching up so quick. And so, yeah, I've not had that comparison with Thailand, but yeah, that, that would make sense as well. But Vietnam is a, it's a country of, you know, there's different speeds in Vietnam because one thing, and I mentioned this on the podcast quite a lot recently, I often say Vietnam, but what I really mean is Saigon. Mm. Because what we're talking about, this rapid development, this drastic change, we're talking about Saigon. Whereas then if you go out to, there is still change in rural Vietnam, but not at the same speed, I would say. What would you think on that? I would, I would agree with you 100%. Because Saigon is Vietnam for me or for you yeah. as well. We... Saigon go ahead of all the other cities. Hanoi, you can see some changes too, but it's still uh, at the at the political quarter ahead of the country. It's slower. It's still trying to reserve the culture and the rural um, areas and all the towns. They pretty much the same. You might see more houses because people are doing better. They have money to build, you know, bricks house instead of staying mm. in the coconut leaf houses like you, you, you used to see. But in terms of establishments and all the cultural development or, or nightlife, definitely Saigon is the place. Saigon is ahead of, of everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's, it's, that's what I mean. It's not really Vietnam almost, right? It's just mm. its own little different place. Mm. So then, so how did you end up leaving um, Vietnam and traveling all around Europe, living all over Europe? I always feel, I always felt that I wanted to see the world. And I think the best way to experience other cultures and country is to live there. Mm. So I started with uh, a master degree in business, so like an MBA, where you do international business. Because I thought living overseas in different countries, learn about business so that I can come back to Vietnam and do business because Vietnam needs more business people. Mm. We need more money so that we can move from developing to develop. So that's, that's what I thought. I always have something in me of doing something for Vietnam. Cool. And then, so where did you go and do your MBA? Oh, yeah, sorry, yes. So, so I decided to, I chose Europe because of the culture. I'm fascinated about the culture in, in all the country there. So I did it in Germany, Spain, England, and France. You can you can choose, so from my, my master degree, we can choose to be in one country or two or three or four. And I went for four, of course. What institution was this with? So this was a very new back then, was one of the very rare master degree that you can do internationally. And it I started with, in English, it's SRH uh, Berlin. Mm. And then they have that program that you can be an exchange student with other universities. And then you pick the other university based on where they are. So I kind of handpicked my journey in Europe by picking, okay, Berlin and then Madrid and then Paris and then London. And what language was it taught in English at each institution? Everything in English, but I like the fact that they also encourage you to learn the local language too. I do speak German, so then I got to learn how to speak French and a bit of Spanish. And how is your Spanish and your French and your German now? German, I can still speak German, but French and Spanish, I understand more than I can speak because when I moved to uh, Australia, everything just stick to English. Or Australian. Well, I was going to say, come on, <laughs> hold on a minute. I don't know. So, I, you know, I'm a comedian as well, and I've been doing a, a joke recently about how Australians have uh, they've, they've adapted the English language for their own purposes. <laughs> we did a comedy show last week, and a, a whole bunch of the audience members didn't know that, like, in Australia, McDonald's is called Macca's. Macca's. And literally the sign says Macca's. Yes. And I had to explain to the audience that there's a servo. Mm -hmm. So for anyone listening... That doesn't know this, a servo in Australia, Australia is? A petrol station. Petrol station, right? <laughs> Service station, servo. What do you, what's a bottle? Barlow. The bottle? Yeah. 
Why don't I know the bolo? I know the ambo. What's the ambo? Oh, the ambulance. Yeah. The ambo, yeah. My uh, sister worked in ambulances. Sunny, not yet sunny. What, is, what are the sunnies? Oh, yeah, sunnies. Yeah, sunnies. Yeah, sunglasses. Yes, yeah. 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 <laughs> but bottle, the bottle shop. At the, the bottle or the bottle shop? And then literally is the name of, like, it's on it's the bottle, sign, yeah. the bottle. Yeah. And then you've got Steve-o, Dave-o. Avo. Av- I've seen you saying Avo now, and some people ask, what do you mean Avo? Afternoon. afternoon. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that one. The yeah, Avo. We Avo. do the Avo. We say Avo pretty often. I mean, not we. I feel like Australian. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm not Australian. I'm Vietnamese. But yeah, Australians say Avo a lot. Avo. Yes. Yeah. Well, sorry. I lived in Australia for four years. Sorry. So um, that, that's why I was lived in. Well, I traveled all over, but mostly lived in Melbourne. Same. Oh, is I love Melbourne. Man? I loved yeah. Melbourne. I know the debate between Melbourne and Sydney, but Melbourne for me. What? There's no debate. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Melbourne. It's no, no debate I mean, at all. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, they always a debate between which is the best city of Australia, and people say Sydney, and then other people say Melbourne. Yeah. And they list all the pro and cons and try to win. I'm like, there's nothing to debate about. Melbourne won the most livable city of the world for seven years in a row. Yeah, I know, right. So then forget about Sydney. I mean, I love Sydney too, but yeah. Melbourne is better. I was very kind of parochial when I lived there. I was like, no, Melbourne's better. But I didn't really spend any time in Sydney. And then the first time I went to Sydney and I, I had like a local take me out and we hung out in cool places and saw more of Sydney. I was like, all right, I get out of it. it. It's definitely like, it's an amazing city. I mean, we're talking about Australia. It's all amazing, right? Yeah. Now you're just like, what's even better? But I lived in Perth for a while as well. So that's one of my favorite places yeah. in the world. But nobody can understand me when I say it. Perth. I have, to, I have to make it American Perth. <laughs> That's so sweet. <laughs> Perth. Yeah, yeah, I, I can even <laughs> even even your face expression change. Perth. Yeah, no, it's, it's, become yeah. more American. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or any word with R in the middle, I have to uh, okay. change it. Burger, mother, dirty. What? <laughs> you can't even understand me, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what so how did you like life in Australia because I, I enjoyed it I liked it a lot I do make jokes about it as well and I know this is true it Australians are racist like there's just a, just a fact like their casual racism is shocking their casual sexism and not all of them there's plenty of like really decent Australians I'm not like saying that they're all like that but there are a lot of them and it's shocking, and the, the amount of times you hear an Australian say, like, I'm not, I, this isn't meant to be racist, but then you know you're going to say something, <laughs> something racist. Like... You're like, okay, well, here we go, what is this? It's like, I'm not being sexist, but I'm like, oh, okay, you're about to say something really, really sexist right now. <laughs> so how did, you, cause how did you experience that as a, obviously, someone who's not Australian and not white? Because that's the thing as well I noticed with Australian, they're anti-immigrant, but not if you're white. Mm. They're okay with like West, with British people coming over and things like this. I, when I lived there, I could, I was just shocked at the treatment of like boat people and, and things like this. I was like, this is insane. Yeah. <laughs> when were you in, in Australia? With I got your... there, I got there 2007 and left oh. 2011. So right at the kind of, I think this, that, that was the start of them sending people to Christmas Island and, you know, Nauru and, and, and their treatment of these people fleeing persecution, war. And this massive country with so much space and so much room. And I, I mean, one of the most cringy things ever. Anyone who's listening to this, this is true. In Australia, they had bumper stickers and T-shirts saying country's full. Really? Yeah. Oh, good that I haven't seen it. I didn't see it. This country is far from full. It's <laughs> the most desolate country in the world. This is how unironic it was. They were like, yeah, country's mm. full, mate. And you're like, wow. Yeah, so that that is why I experienced some of this kind of casual racism, especially towards their own indigenous people. When, when people would then start to denigrate the indigenous people there, I would get so angry because it's like, you know, you, you know, this country was stolen from them, right? And like, anyways. But my question was, so you as a, an as a immigrant or an expat, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about the differences in that later. How were your experiences of Australia in that sense? Cause, and then you can share the good experiences as well, because I don't want to... There are some unbelievable <laughs> people in Australia, really forward-thinking, progressive people, but unfortunately, they often get drowned out by the idiots. I think 2007 to 2011 was before my time. I came over to Australia in 2013. I know it's only two, three years difference, and I live in Melbourne and maybe also because of my environment and my network, I live 
more or less the same. Maybe I have my own bubble. I live more or less the same in Vietnam or overseas. I always have international friends. I work in international environments. So I experience less of the sexism or racism. Having said that, it doesn't mean that I didn't experience any because like you say, I'm not white and I'm Asians. There's a lot of Asians in Melbourne, mm. more than in Sydney and other cities. More Chinese, but people don't know that. For Australians, they look at Asian people, they're all the same, they're all Chinese. I work for a hotel chain, it's an American one, very international. We have people from different background and nationality. But you, I, di I, wouldn't, I didn't notice it until I got to a higher level. When I became a manager, uh, an area regional manager, and I got to then travel and work in different resorts. So one time, let's just put, pick out one. I was answering the phone, a customer calling at the hotel and they're asking for a special reservation, whatever it was. But I think he noticed my accent that I'm not Australian, obviously. Then he asked to speak to the manager. So the person, I mean, the, the guest of his agent is at the front desk already passed on to me as the manager. But then he noticed the accent and that's when he asked, no, no, I actually wanted to talk to the manager. And I say, well, I'm actually the manager, so you can talk to me. Like I can, you know, accommodate your request if it's within our ability. But he just keep insisting. He say, no, I, I need to talk to the manager, really. Like, where are you from? So he just keep insisting on where are you from? You're not the manager. That's kind of like the first time when it really hit me that, yeah, I mean, racism also exists in, in Australia. I didn't expect that. Maybe I was naive. I was in Europe. I was doing okay. I was having fun. I didn't really face that much mm. of racism. So, and I thought as an English speaking country, Australia for me is, they, they have more or less the British kind of feel. They definitely look up to like British, uh, Great Britain, but they do want to be American. That's just my... No, no, absolutely. Yeah, agree. just 100%. my observation. I, like, I feel like you have a lot of British in you, but you, you, you look after America and you want to be like American. You try to copy everything. So then I thought, okay, well, English speaking, Australian, Great Britain, England and American, all of that together would make you a very open-minded country if that Australia is the person. But then, then I realized, no, not 100%. And I, especially that a situation happened when I was in Turkey. Turkey? Yeah, yeah, beautiful is, place. Yeah. yeah, so it's outside, it's more like a town thing. So that's where you meet more of the Australian, the Aussie slang for it is bogan. <laughs> and that's when you meet those people and you realize, yeah, they, they're different from the people you meet in the city. And I think that's maybe the point I'm making is because I, I lived in Melbourne, met amazing people, people work, working hard for social justice and things like this. But I, I, for my job, I work for charities doing fundraising. And so I would travel all over Australia to different towns and especially rural towns. So I, I went to almost every rural town in Victoria, even some in New South mm -hmm. Wales. And that's, yeah, where you then really just get that casual, just like, not proud to be racist because I think also as well, like there's a lot of ignorance. It's not like they're being like, I'm going to be racist. It's just kind of like this casual, like that example is just kind of like, that's what I mean, it's, you know? Maybe it's more like ignorant, like you say, because they don't know better. They never leave the country. They travel. never left the town. I mean. Do you know, I, I, went, I went to work in Tasmania for a couple of weeks, oh, right? Yeah. And we were working in Launceston, which is outside of Hobart. Yeah. And I met this guy and he's like, oh, yeah, the big smoke. And I was like, oh, like Melbourne? He's like, no, Hobart. <laughs> and he'd never left Launceston. Oh, wow. So the more rural you go in Australia, you do meet those kind of people. But then as a, you know, as a white person, and I wouldn't expect you to, to see any racism. Or... Well... It's more sometimes because they're overconfident that they think they can say casually racist things in front of you. But I also had colleagues that I worked with that were of different international backgrounds and things like this. So you would kind of see it in, in that way. Well, well, I guess as well. So here, I'm just remembering. So I worked for like the Red Cross, Amnesty International, Oxfam wow. Australia, things like this. So I worked for these international charities. So you would often hear things like, oh, we got to help our own people first. That was like a really common thing. I'm going to help. And, you know, there's some argument to that. I also work for Australian charities where they're trying to feed kids breakfast. Oh, that was the thing for, for the Red Cross. 
So for some people, you just can't win and we can get into your charity journey soon. So because I've worked in charities for most of my life, sometimes you just can't win. So it's like, we're with the Red Cross and they're like, oh, we're going to help people in Australia. Yeah, yeah, cool. We're, we're actually doing a, a breakfast club. So we give kids breakfast that come from families that can't afford it. Why can't they f afford it? Why they spend all the money on cigarettes and alcohol? You know, they should be given. So it's just like they've, they've got something ready, no matter what you say. But so that's what I'm saying. I met some unbelievable people that really wanted to help people. But I also met people that were like, no, I'm not helping another country, you know? Well, I, I didn't do much charity work in Australia. So simply because I was in a situation where I actually need help as an immigrant, you know, trying to live in the country, find work. And so I did not work in, in charity and I didn't see that. But yeah, me, myself, experienced that casual racism even sexism like you say yeah yeah i think yeah, that, i think that sexism is worse than the racism i felt i felt a lot of time invisible in the conversation mm. where i'm the only female there and i feel like oh even when i speak but yeah not and that's it just acknowledge but wouldn't count in my opinion and, and just based basically because i'm i'm female and also because i'm asian well, I don't want to say any names, but someone I know very well who, who lives in Australia recently had, I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was an, a, pr a promotion or an, an award. Mm. And so it got posted on, you know, LinkedIn. And, you know, she was getting messages of congratulations and whatnot. And then one guy messaged and the only real comment was about how beautiful she looked in the picture. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. And what about the award? Yeah, <laughs> and she's very good. She's very, she does amazing work to empower women's rights in the workplace. She's a kind of trailblazer in her industry. And so, you know, she messaged them back and used that as a kind of teaching opportunity to be like, you know, this is not appropriate. Like, I've never met you before. Why are you commenting on my appearance? You should be commenting on my work. And I think the guy just ignored it or blocked. No, he blocked her. That's he right. blocked I'm her. I'm pretty sure he immediately blocked her instead of responding. And that happens in all countries, not just not just Australia, but that's an example. Mm -hmm. But I, I want to give you a funny story quickly before we move on. I don't think this makes me a casual racist, okay? It just makes me dumb. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so doing my doing the fundraising, so I used to do street fundraising and door to door as well. So going door to door, I think it was in Newcastle at the time, rural and like not the town centre, you know, in the kind of satellite suburbs of Newcastle, going door to door. And, and you'll know in Australia as well that they have screen doors, right? Mm -hmm. Right, so to let the air into hot country, blah, blah, blah. And then they have the main door. So knocked the door, screen, the door opened, but the screen door was still there, couldn't see. And then this person with a high-pitched voice, small, from what I could see, answered the door. And I was like, oh, can I speak to your dad? And then she opened the screen door and then this big Aussie bloke came up, you know, stubby shorts and grey beard. And it was this tiny little Asian woman. I don't know, Thai or Cambodian. Or, I mean, I didn't ask, you know. I couldn't even see the person. It was just I heard the voice, but I've never been so embarrassed because she brought her husband back and I'd asked for her dad. Oh, my goodness. That was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, everyone would, would kind of make that mistake, right? Yeah. I probably, in that situation, my... my Make yeah. the same mistake, like it. <laughs> it was purely based on the sound. No, I couldn't even see the person, but it was uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think, I think racism, sexism, or, or ignorance coming from what we know, coming from the, the the knowledge what we have. We know what we know. We don't know what we don't know. So we would make assumptions, or we would make a judgment based on what we know. And if we the the judgment be turn out to be wrong, then it's just an assumption, right? But if it's right, then it was the right judgment, mm -hmm. you know, so. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's make you feel better. Like I make some embarrassing mistakes too. Yeah. <laughs> so let's move on then. So you, when you left Australia, you were in Australia for how long then? Um, seven years. Seven years and working in the hospitality industry. Not the whole time, but mm. yeah, most of the time, yes. So you got to see a lot of the country. Uh, yes, I travel around for work because it's hospitality and mm. the the hotel chains. They have resorts and hotel everywhere. I was actually um, responsible for Victoria and Tasmania, so I got to see Tasmania too. Very similar to Scotland. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. yeah. Never been to Scotland. Looks like Tasmania. Okay. <laughs> so now I can take. Yeah, there almost... you can say you've been. You can just say you've been. It's all right. <laughs> but then, so you came back to Vietnam, then just 
on a visit, as you said. What kind of philanthropic work had you been doing before? So I did on a personal level, like I mentioned, when growing up, I think Vietnam is a very philanthropic country. All of us, each of the Vietnamese person were always willing to do charity. Always. We would always want to keep something, help someone. But then it never, it's not to the professional level. Like we need to look at it more seriously instead of just helping because we can help. So then when I was in... Even before I left Vietnam, when I was working here in a travel company, I was trying to do some, some charity work and I asked the company to get involved. So I was on also like executive manager, so kind of high level. And I thought my voice would, you know, make a difference. And I said, hey, I always, I've been doing a lot of charity on my own with my friends. What about the company joining? And then you can, you know, donate some money or we can just ask the employee to donate and just gather people and, and do a trip. And the answer was no, we, I don't remember what it was. We don't have the time or we don't have the resources. And then I did it myself with the people from the company, but not as the company. But thinking back, it was their loss. Because what I'm doing now is to then give the company a chance to then do good, but they don't have to lose so much time or money or resources because people in the company are willing to contribute. So then that was what happened before Australia. In Australia, same also on a personal level, also help other people what I can. I was the event manager for a women federation for world peace. And what we did were to raise money, organizing peace events and raise money for women, children in the Pacific Island. They have schooled and they have, they teach women how to sue, do things to then microcredit, do their own little business thing to then help the kids to go to school. So, um, Back with the hotel business, I was there, also a manager. I also try and say, hey, maybe we could do something. Maybe we could do like a, I don't know, a free hug, simple thing. It doesn't cost money. Or go for, do create a run and then raise money for a cancer council of Victoria. It doesn't have to be other country. It doesn't have to be other island. It can be this country. I don't mind helping who because there are people who need help everywhere in the world, even in a developed country. There are homeless people everywhere in Melbourne. I'm sure you, you know this, like I was surprised to see so many homeless people and I didn't get a, like a, an agreement with the, the hotel to do more charity with their name, same, same uh, reaction that I got just like in Vietnam. So then I said, okay, then I'll just, just move on and do, do other things because it's somehow still something that I want to do. I want to be part of the company or business that also think of other people and not just thinking of business in the bottom line. No, it's, that's, that's what my job was here for a while in, in Saigon. Unfortunately, I lost my job because of COVID. So the pandemic hit and they had to make cuts. And so it's really unfortunate because they were doing amazing work, helping give education to children. And then they, they've lost that part of it. And it's really, it's just another problem of the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. So you then came to Vietnam in March, 2020, like you said. You were just visiting friends and family? Yes. Um, actually visiting the country and planning then to move on from Australia, actually. So I would just stop by home for a visit and then planning to go to Canada. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. And had you, was that already set? So I was a little bit of an adventurous as well. And I'm, I'm confident I can just move to a country and just find my way. Well, like just what I did in, in Australia. So I would just like pack up everything, leave everything, go home for a visit and then go to... Canada, but it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> so what date did you get back to, what, what date did you arrive in Vietnam? Oh, I remember exactly the 18th of March, 2020. So, so we left Vietnam on March 10th oh. to go to New Zealand for a wedding. Then we were meant to go to America for a wedding mm. and then back to Vietnam for a wedding. It was going to be three Saturdays, three weeks, three weddings, three continents. Wow. We planned for a year for it. We had to leave New Zealand the day before the wedding. The American wedding was postponed for a year. We still didn't get to go to it. And the wedding in Vietnam was postponed about six months. We got to go to it, but all of the groom's family couldn't come because, you know, borders were still closed. So we arrived back on March 20th, two days after. You yeah. Arrived. And we, because we had a foreign passport, we got immediately put in a government quarantine. Did you, you get to just walk in, right? Nothing happened to yeah. I, I actually came in with a partner, ex-partner now, but with the partner at that, that time, he's a foreigner. 
but nothing happened to us. We was like, why everything is so chill and casual here? It, like Vietnam was still very. It was changing day by day by day. Yeah. And so we, unfortunately, well, fortunately, because when we landed, they wanted to send us back to Australia, even though we'd come from New Zealand, because they just saw we boarded in Australia. Mm. And they were like, oh, you need to go back. You can't come in. And we're like, no, no, we live here. Like we have a visa, we have a life here. We have jobs here. And there's a whole podcast episode about it. People can go listen to it. But thankfully we got in and we spent 17 days in government quarantine with no mattress, no, no pillow, no booze. No, <laughs> no booze. No booze. Very important. 17 days. But the good thing was we got ended up, it was only three of us in the room. It was my wife and I. And then the guest who was just on the last episode of the podcast, we became close friends and we've been oh. close friends ever since Anastasia. And the last episode that just came out, she just returned from Ukraine. Oh, wow. She went back to Ukraine for the first time in two years, two and a half years. And then five days after she arrived, war broke out. So thankfully her and her mum have made it back safely. So that was the last, so that's, that was my journey, my story of how I got back. So you came in on the 18th and then at what point, I mean, by the 20th then bottles were closed. I mean, on the, on the, on the same day, we kind of realized that in Vietnam, something is starting as well. The next day they already, I, we were staying in like an Airbnb bed and breakfast and the local authority come and knock on the door and say, now we're going to have to like check on you every day to just make sure that we were not in, in quarantine or anything, but just because we flew back. Testing you every day. Yeah. Come and check on temperature, mm -hmm. not testing. Right. Back then the testing was not really like yeah, a, a right. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just it's more all checking. about the temperature. The... Yes. Yeah. So they were coming every morning, 7am to check the temperature and say that wherever you go, be careful, blah, blah. But then it's getting more and more serious. And at some point they call it and say, stay in, do not go anywhere. That's when it, you know, it get into social distancing point where the the vehicle go around with the loudspeaker with the megaphone yeah stay home blah 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 is that what it was saying yeah. yeah i mean i think when that was going around i was already stuck in quarantine anyway. oh yeah that 17 day you were not yeah, there yeah, to experience. yeah well one of the things we'd we'd heard about and i don't know um if you saw this but we'd heard about kind of like an anti-foreigner sentiment because it was this perception that foreigners had brought in covid which was not true because it was returning vietnamese that were bringing the covid back but so we, we were, I remember being in quarantine and we were nervous about getting out because we didn't really know what we were walking into. And we'd held, we'd, we'd seen things on Facebook about how foreigners had gone to, you know, Vinmar and been refused entry, even though they were letting in Vietnamese people or they'd been like abused and yelled at by people. And so we were like, what are we getting out to? So did you see any of that when you, during that period or you were just mostly at home anyway? I, I did see uh, a little bit of the, the not really anti-foreigner, but I think people, Vietnamese people were afraid. Hmm. They always afraid of but what they, they don't know. They thought that it's come from foreigner because the virus must be from overseas, right? It's not here. But then, you know, they didn't realize it's because of the Vietnamese. What I saw was that people instead of jumping into the foreigner like before. That's my experience before. I know that Vietnamese people are very hospitable. They like foreigners and they will come to you and don't even respect your privacy because they don't know. We don't have that, you know, we don't, we're not taught that we respect the privacy here. People live here three, three generations under the same roof, the small alley with hundreds of households. So of course they don't, they're not familiar with the concept of giving your privacy, this is your family, this is your friends, you know, this is your family close here. So they come and they touch you because you, know, you probably would get that back then too, I assume. Because you're so wide, you look so different. I never, I've never really had that, oh, strangely. I, but I know lots of people who have. I yeah. personally have never really oh, had them. Yeah. Yeah. I must would, give off a vibe, like, don't come near Yeah, <laughs> they would touch your hair if you have, like, a fluffy curly I've heard hair, this from, yeah, blonde people. hair, yeah. blue eye. They would come like, oh, isn't you so pretty touch you because you're so wild like a princess. The only thing I ever got one time in D4 was someone was, like, touching my nose and said yeah. I had a long nose. But, I mean, why would you touch someone's nose? You can make the comment, but do not touch people. Yeah. That's the only time it ever happened. But then there was someone, like a Vietnamese person with them who could speak a little bit of English and they're like, no, she's saying you've got a really nice nose, but she's like long nose. <laughs> yeah. That's the only time that Yeah, happened. so I didn't see that mm. anymore. I see that people, when they see foreigners, they were like, they would, yeah. yeah, they would like keep the distance. Or they also ask me, some people ask me, so where has he come from? When did he arrive in Vietnam? I'm like, he's with me. He's with me. He's cool. He's cool. <laughs> yeah. I vouch for him. <laughs> And I think that was a big part of it as well, right? It was more questioning, like, about where people were from and when yeah. they got here. So then I sometimes just to 
just to, you know, get away to go on with our travel, I would say, you live here. Like, we live here. Even me, I didn't even want to say that I just came because I know that I didn't have the virus. I know that. But I know people here too. I know they would be afraid they would get paranoid. And we saw that. We see, mm-hmm. we saw the paranoia over the, the lockdown and the social distancing, right? They freak out on everything. Well, let's move on from that. We don't yeah, like exactly. do we like to keep the COVID chat to a minimum? So let's go on then. So you got stuck here, like many people. <laughs> How did you then turn that into this wonderful thing that's now become the happy event and the social change makers? Yeah. So the happy event is something that I started back in Melbourne before I left. So I stopped working for the hotel and I thought, what is the one thing that I like doing? I like people. I'm a people person, very, very extroverted. And I got the energy from people. I like to bring people together. And if I could do that to help other people, perfect. So I started with my own event business called the Happy Event. I started to do with what I like first, dancing, happy party, and then become a festival of something more cultural, South of Africa festival, a Latin festival. And then there's the reason why we left Australia and moving on to to Canada. But I'm not getting into that, more like a personal... uh, (laughs) reason but we came to Vietnam that when getting stuck here and seeing people struggle Vietnam being a developed country third level country we don't have the resource the government didn't know what to do so who suffer from all of that the people on the street the people in the the little alley that got quarantined because one person got COVID then everyone got quarantined they didn't get uh, to go to supermarket to just get food even the basic need of food and yeah, feeding your family, it's become impossible. So then I thought, I have the resources and I have the network and somehow I was still able to go out and do other things. So I decided I want to do some, some events here, starting to help people. And I start with Dance for Kindness, flash mob, just something that I like dancing, but then help other people, get people to join in, we raise money and we use that money to help people. That's where before the pandemic. So that's where for the flood victim in Central. That was the first year. And then the year later, 2020, when, when COVID started, well, sorry, 2021 was more like then that's when I started. January 2021, I decided I want to do it more seriously. I joined in Women Empowerment Club, which is an initiative that funded by the U.S. Consulate. And they taught Vietnamese women, young Vietnamese women to be more conscious and helping other, more giving back, do more community work. Uh, and empowering them at the same time to be more confident and do what they want. So from that, I joined in more to then use my uh, my knowledge and my you know experience in doing events and living overseas to then empowering other women. That's what my intention of joining the agenda, the programs. But after that, I was more or less inspired from 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 the work that we all do, part of that programs. So I decided social change maker. It's, it's something that I should do for myself instead of for other people. So it's my baby that it actually, it makes me happy first before it can help other people. So right after we did the, the pink night, that was my project with the Women Empowerment Club to help uh, raise funds for Breast Cancer Network Vietnam. Right after that, it was the 10th of January, was the day of the event, I still remember, at Hagro Cafe. Sadly, not here anymore, Hagro Cafe, off north. 10th day later. I decided so change maker and I launched the event on the 22nd of January and just literally just an idea of I launched an event networking ask people to come in and throw out the idea of let's build a network of people who wanted to do good people who are interested in social impact creating a hub creating a group and I got really good uh, response and people came to the event and they say it's a good idea it's there is definitely potential to do something like that there are people who are doing good already in the in the city and there are a lot of organizations but they need someone or a network to then connect everyone and i think i'm good with that i think i'm good with connecting people so that's how it started that's awesome yeah and then so how's it going now we're one year young <laughs> like more than one year now we just have our anniversary uh, back in january and we have a structure step by step we learn at the beginning we we're just networking obviously nothing else just once a month, come together, introduce some people, connect some people. From that, it's growing into now we have a team, everybody volunteer. We have a team of about 12 people volunteering. We have uh, core people who work on 
Every month we have a fixed a structure. Like I'm really proud of what we achieved so far. We would have a, a social impact networking. That's the original idea. On top of that, we have Social Change Maker Academy, focused in education related to personal development and soft skills that would help with social impact. So we did in live, meaning like done by Moni and n the friends from the other podcast. And we're going to do a sign language workshop for people to learn. Then you can communicate with another community that actually exists in the city or in the country that sometimes we might forget about them. You know, so then oh, we also do charity every month and we have a sustainability market, which is the last one just happened over the last weekend just now, which focus then on promotes the reduce, reuse, recycles and environment. So, yeah, so we have everything going quite steadily. Because That's amazing. Yeah. You're well done. Thank you. And I, sorry, I don't get to come to events because I'm always putting my own on. I know. <laughs> it's so difficult. And I'm sure you're the same. You probably get invited to stuff all the time when you're like, I just can't go. Yeah. It's, it's so bad. And even as well with the amount of people that here in Saigon alone, never mind around the world, creating podcasts or YouTube channels. And you're like, I just can't watch it all. And at the same time, make my own, yeah. edit my own, publish my own. It gets really, really difficult. And like you want to listen to it and you want to support people. But I think it's so difficult if you're already doing your own yeah. thing. But I'll hopefully be at an event <laughs> soon. That, Wait, that's okay. <laughs> when, what is your next event? So then next Monday will be, we will have, we'll prepare for a visit to School of Hope in Bintan. So we're closer to visit the kids. The, that's it, the school that teach uh, deaf and mute kids. And they also give sponsorship so the kids don't have to pay for their tuitions and they can stay while their parents are at work and they only go home in the afternoon, like after the whole day of school. So we'll come and play with them. That's one of the things that we would. And then again, with the, the market, the charity market and the social impact networking, you know, the same thing. But what exciting coming up is that for May, we're going to have our office. I'm very excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> Moving offline into the real world. Yeah. So we've been doing events. We've been co-working from different places, different venues. And we started with a charity flea market because we've got people donating things to us and we can sell all the donations to then make raise some money in no activation. So you don't always ask people for money. It's, you know, it's a difficult time. Not everybody has money to then help all the time. So we try different ways to then raise money. And one of the ways is to then people can raise stuff when they leave the country. And then we sell them, we have the money, and we then help someone who needs. And we're going to set up our charity shop instead of online. Now it's going to be offline at the office. So that's very exciting. Well, congratulations. Thank you. me, which is very, very soon, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I already signed the contract. I already have the key of the house, which is I've been so busy with event over the weekend. So I literally just dump all the boxes into the house, but I haven't set up or started anything. So I will start this week. I mean, yeah, this week. Well, we better finish up and let you go on because you've obviously got so much to do. So we're going to finish with the final questions that we ask everyone at okay. the end of season eight. If you could go anywhere in Vietnam for a week, you're going to stay there for a whole week. <laughs> where would you go? Nha Trang. Right. I thought of Phu Quoc, but I like Nha Trang more. Simply because you have beach and a city in one place. With Nha Trang, you get to go to the night market, take out a bike or the scooter or a bicycle, whichever you want. You can just go to the beach or you go to the bookstore. Like you have the city life there, but you also can just take a scooter and go a bit further and then it deserts just like on an island. Mm. Or if you really want an island, you can cross over and go to other islands around Nha Trang. So yeah, I would say Nha Trang for the whole week. Yeah, I like, I like Nha Trang as well. And I've, I've, I've got on a bike and got out to like Docklet Beach. Have you ever heard of Docklet mm -hmm. Beach? And yep. there's some like nice waterfalls out there. And We say in Vietnamese, Yoplet. Yoplet, sorry. Yoplet, yes. No, I'm not correcting you. No, I'm you are correcting yeah. me, but you should, you should correct me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm trying to remember how it's spelled. But yeah, D-O-C. What? L-E-T. So I understand it, Docklet in English. In the sound, yeah, Yoplet. It's a difficult word. It's a difficult word. So what advice would you give to a tourist coming to Vietnam? Because tourists are back. <laughs> Exciting. Yeah. Tourists are back. The, the elephant pens are back. <laughs> I like that joke. Just a reference there, Rosie is making a posted on Facebook a few weeks ago that I saw someone with elephant pants on, which I had not seen anyone with <laughs> elephant pants on in Vietnam for like 
pretty much two and a half years and it was like it's a tourist yeah. he's back yeah elephant pants well there's, there's negatives of tourists coming back and elephant pants are definitely one of them but <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give to a tourist coming to Vietnam two things first of all be open-minded the country is full of different things that you might not expect like the crazy traffic the rainy season it's raining all day and then flooding everywhere People try to harass you to sell things. Some places, in some market, you have to bargain. But when you learn your way and you know there's a lot of beautiful thing, you know, beautiful treat for you, I think you will love it. Just be open-minded and don't, don't expect something similar like home. Just be open-minded. And the second thing, be kind. People don't speak English as well as in other country, but Vietnamese people are very hospitable, very friendly, and they love foreigners. So you use that, take advantage of that, just be kind to them because they will be kind to you. I've seen examples, not in a long time, but when I first came here, especially if you would be hanging around the tourist areas, of people being unkind and you're just like, bro, chill out, like why you get so angry at this person, like they don't speak English or they don't speak English well, like just relax. Like, yeah. But yeah, some people get like that, right? Yeah. Now, what advice would you give to someone who wants to live in Vietnam, who wants to move to Vietnam? Oh, advisor. Do your research. Know what to expect. I know some friends who came here, they did the research, but not totally enough. And they thought Vietnam would be a completely different country. So I say, check, talk with the locals, go online, join some Facebook group. Facebook is a thing in Vietnam. Everything you want to know, it's on Facebook. That's my advice for people who want to live here. Join all the facts about an expert groups in, in, in Vietnam or in, in Saigon, where, whichever city that you go, there will be a group for it. And then learn what are the situations so that you can be and learn the good things, the bad thing, but don't be thrown off by the, the bad thing. Just to be prepared and know that that's normal. It's okay. It's been the same in other countries too. You know, I have to make a warning here. Okay. <laughs> okay. If you're listening to this and you're thinking of moving to Vietnam and Rosie says, get on the Facebook groups. I have to warn you, most of the expat groups here are toxic. Oh, did you know, did you know this? Well, I, I guess because I... Expats isn't, which you've mentioned, Fexpats. So if you're a female, you can join the female place. expats and locals group, which is a good resource for females, for safe space, for women to be able to ask questions that maybe they wouldn't want to ask in a, a normal group. But some of the main expat groups here are a toxic swill of... Horrible, horrible people and simple questions just get the most horrible answers. So I'm just warning anyone. Be prepared that if you ask a simple question like, where's the best place to live? You're going to get called a racist or something like that. <laughs> you know, that's maybe stupid, but yeah, you get like stupid answers. People will get angry that you don't know the answer or so just maybe read before you post mm -hmm. is probably a good idea. And then there are some non-true expat groups as well. So look up the non-true expat groups. That's a good advice. I, I do agree some of them can be a bit negative, but I'm a very positive person. I always look at the positive side and I believe that there are always people who then would speak up and say, yo, just chill out. That person just asked something because he or she doesn't know. You live in the country, so you can just help. Well, no, that doesn't happen. The next it doesn't person, happen. Well, the next person will then say something even worse than the person before, and it gets like, uh, it's a toxic swill <laughs> of humanity. It's not a good place. I did see some people, again, the person who troll all the people. But, but then again, I don't use the Facebook group so much to, to live with it, but it more or less, I think it's the first for you, like the first way for you to get a, a few. Don't listen to all the experts say, more <laughs> to get information. Yeah, yeah. As you get the facts, you know. <laughs> Well, what you should do is listen to a Vietnam podcast, join my Facebook group, which is 7 Million Army, but we don't post really stuff about living here. We just post funny stuff and podcast stuff. But join that, join our community, and we'll welcome you with open arms. Now, next question related to this is, what is the difference for you between an expat and an immigrant? That's a very interesting question. When I saw that, I was like, oh, I didn't think of that before, but... I believe, or in my opinion, an expat is someone who get a job to work in another country. So they will be in the country for a limited time, I think. Like it's not an, a permanently. But a migrant is someone who go to another country with intention to live there permanently. So they would be more open-minded to then adapt 
to, to go with the local ways and learn how to, to live a, a local way. Expat might have their bubble to then stick to. We would do exactly the same because we only live here a short time. We, need, we don't need to be exactly the same like a local, which rightfully so, you know, like you don't have to. But that's the differences that I see. It's really simple. And I agree completely. And some people, most people that have come on the podcast have answered almost the exact same. Mm -hmm. But talking about these toxic expat groups, there's a lot of people that in this city, I don't know about other cities, a lot of people in this city, they love to virtue signal. Do you know what I mean by that? They love to show off how virtuous they are, you know, how right they are, how righteous they are, you know? So I live local. I don't live in Taudien. I only eat Vietnamese food. I, I only drink Huda and Tiger. I won't drink craft beer, you know, like I, I'm not an expat. I'm an immigrant or, you know, and then people, people, and this comes, you know, I think mostly from, from the Western world, the immigrant, the word immigrant has been demonized, right? In America, especially, obviously, but at its heart, that's all it means. Exactly what you said. And so this is the thing here in Saigon. There's a lot of people, mostly expats themselves, don't like to use that word expat or they think it's mm. something like a privileged word, like we're privileged with, oh, if you call yourself an expat, you think of you as being better than other people or you're, you're acting like you're privileged. And so that frustrates me because I think they're just virtue signaling to try and show like how fortuitous they are. When in reality is we are expats by definition, because one, there's no pathway to residency here in Vietnam unless you marry a local. Mm-hmm. There's no p- pathway here to get a visa forever. Mm. So we're all expats, unless you're not an expat. <laughs> you, know yeah. I mean? you know what I mean? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that's why, that's my take. And that's why I'm asking that question, because mm. of these toxic Facebook groups. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it has come from that. I think that's yeah. where the question came from. All right, final question. My favorite question I've ever asked on a Vietnam podcast. If Vietnam was a country, how would you describe it? I like this question. Oh, sorry, I fucked that up. I said if Vietnam was a country. Oh. If Vietnam was a person, <laughs> Vietnam is a country. If Vietnam was a person, how would you describe it? I think, I believe Vietnam's would be a woman. I, I believe a lot of people would say so. Everyone's she everyone she is very moody because you know, it's, it's rain and then it's sun, it's so warm and then it rain in the next minute. She appeared to be moody, put it that way to be more accurate. She appeared to be moody, but if you know her, then, then she can be very predictable. You know exactly when it's going to rain, you know exactly when it's going to be hot. So the second comment would be, as a woman, Vietnam is com- complicated, yet very simple. When you understand her complexity, then you love her. Love it. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. It, nearly everyone had said a woman. Nobody's uh, saying men. No, I don't think one person has said a man. Do you think Vietnam is a woman? No, you think well, I do now because I've had so many people see it. Okay, let's... But it, but it makes sense to... I, I, I could see it as a woman, yeah. Okay, let's skip other people, yeah, what yeah. other people think. If I ask you the same question and just skip everything what I just say and other people say to you, what do you think? Well, I'm biased now because I've held like... No, I've held eight skip. different answers. I no, can't just skip make all them. I can't just take them out of my head. And because in my head is one of my favorite ones, they said, oh, she'd be a woman and she'd be a spicy woman. Spicy woman. <laughs> oh, that was a great one as well. And I like that one. Complex, but simple. Unpredictable, but predictable. Moody, moody, moody but predictable. Moody as well. But, but, well. So my thing as well, uh, I think if, if let's, just, let's just say she's a woman, right? I don't think it would be a man. Because uh, Vietnam is, uh, I think, very matriarchal. There's, there's definitely the patriarchy here as well. But I definitely, the women run this country. Right. And I see that. And I even have heard that from like, you know, the man goes out and works, but he comes home, gives all his money to the woman and she like runs the household. And you're nodding like that. Is that that's <laughs> correct? Right? So and then from what I've seen, so the, the one company that I've worked here for, the CEO, the director of HR, every person in a senior position was a woman. Nice. I like that. Lower level, not so much. And there's some issues there that they need to get some more women into mm. the lower level management. But the upper level management, the top of the chain was all women. And all I see here is people like yourself, like strong women. And that would be, for me, I guess, for Vietnam, it's just a really strong woman, I think, make up the backbone of, uh, of, the country. of Vietnam, you know. I had a, a talk recently with Michael, a friend of mine, who is the fellow uh, of English uh, language for the American Center of the U.S. Consulate. And we had to talk about women empowerment 
for March to close off the month of women empowerment. And he also asked me about Vietnam and women, Vietnamese women. And I also, we discussed about Vietnam is actually very like a woman run country. Women's way more um, stronger and, and way more CEO than you see in other countries. And also not, not a lot of people know, but Vietnam used to be, we used to have the, what is the word again? Not the patriarchy, the other matriarchy, one, matriarchy system mm. all the way back. Yeah, and then it changed, it shifted somehow to patriarchy. So we actually a, a woman-led country, so to say. Yeah, and you can just—I think I'd have that before, and you can just—you can see that. Yeah, mm-hmm. women in positions of power everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's incredible. So yeah, no, awesome. Well, Rosie, thank you so much. It's amazing to share your story. It is there was a there was a won't say who, but there was a a, a Vietnamese VQ expat woman who's doing amazing things here, and I asked her to be on the podcast. And she turned me down, and that's fine. She said she didn't want to talk. She's not a talker, and that's okay. fine. But I was like, ah, she's like, you can find someone else. And I was like, no, I want to share Your stories. Story. I want to share women's the stories of women that are doing amazing things here. And and she liked that. She still didn't say yes, but maybe one day she'll come on. But yeah, there's so many amazing women here doing some incredible things. So it's and it's amazing to hear what you're doing. So before we finish, tell people listening where can they find more about the happy events, social change makers. How can they help? What can they do to support you and where can they find you? So the Happy Event and Soul Change Maker, we are on Facebook. Like I mentioned, everything is on Facebook in Vietnam. We um also on LinkedIn, on Instagram, so on social media, basically. People can join supporting by going to the events, going to all of Soul Change Maker activity, what we do. You can also donate uh, money or clothes or anything that you want to donate to our shop, which will be set up this week. <laughs> or join us and volunteer can also join the volunteer team too. Awesome. And we'll put all the links in the show notes for yes. the happy event and social change makers. So go there, click them and connect with Rosie and her amazing team. Well, Rosie, thank you so much. Thanks so much now for having me. I have a great time chatting with you. Awesome. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of a Vietnam podcast by 7 Million Bites. We hope you enjoy hearing our guest stories. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and turn on notifications so you never miss a new episode. Thank you so much to Lewis Wright, who made the 7 Million Bites music and continues to support us in every way. Also to our audio engineer, Luke Digweed, for making sure each episode sounds amazing for you. Also, a big thanks to the 7 Million Bikes community. Thank you so much. It's amazing to get to know you guys. It's amazing to see how much we're growing. And I look forward to seeing you at our next event. You can join the community today. The link is in the description of the show. You'll get free tickets to 7 Million Bikes events, episodes before anyone else, and extra special bonus content only for you, and invites to special member-only events. You will also obviously be providing massive support so that we can keep sharing people's stories with you on a Vietnam podcast. Also, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And remember, we have seven seasons of stories to share with you. So check them out if you haven't already, and we hope you can listen to future episodes too so you can laugh, connect, and discover. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease, and I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, 
nordvpn.com forward slash smb. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash smb. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers. Cheers.